Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Small Group Leaders Podcast for week one of the series Moving Mountains. I'm Roy McMillan, Small Groups Coordinator at Evangel, and I'm so excited to be beginning a new series with all of you and looking at the theme of prayer. It was about a year ago that we started our Wednesday night prayer services. Prayer is an important part of who we are at Evangel. In fact, it's a part of our DNA, the values of our church that make us who we are, a church of prayer. One of our seven values is we pray until something happens. Prayer is important not just to Evangel as a church community, but to each one of us as individual followers of Christ. Week one of this series focuses on the idea of calling on the name of the Lord. In Matthew 21, after Jesus curses a fig tree and causes it to wither up, his disciples are amazed and ask how the fig tree withered so quickly. Jesus responded by telling the disciples that if they had faith and did not doubt, they would be able to not just do the things like he just did, but they would even be able to move a mountain by speaking to it and telling it to do so. Jesus said, you can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. We can move mountains when we call upon the name of Jesus. Peter and John experienced this after Pentecost when they encountered the lame beggar at the temple. This man spent his days in the temple courts begging for the thing he believed he needed, money. When Peter and John encountered the man, Peter told him that they didn't have any money to give. But what they did have to give was even greater, the power and authority of the name of Jesus. And so Peter told the man to get up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And because they called on the name of Jesus, the man got up and walked. There is power and authority in the name of Jesus for all who have unwavering faith, faith without doubt. So let's get into this week's study guide. As you begin your group time this week, we have an icebreaker question for the group to share to get the conversation going. The question is this. If you could visit heaven right now and talk with one of the people in the Bible other than Jesus, whom would you talk to? I would have to say that for me, the answer would be Peter. I love the fact that Peter was transformed from this sometimes hard-headed, impulsive, uneducated fisherman who, in Jesus' greatest hour of trial, denied Jesus into one of the greatest leaders of the early church. I would love to sit down and hear him tell the story of how Jesus restored him on the shore of the Sea of Galilee after Jesus had risen from the grave. Have each member of your group share briefly who they would like to talk to if they could visit heaven right now and why they would choose that person. Following the icebreaker, we have the reflecting on the sermon questions. There are two questions here. Have your group members share about two things as they reflect on the sermon? The first is what stood out to them or really spoke to them. And the second is what the Holy Spirit is prompting them to apply in their lives and how they will apply it. I'm believing that this week's sermon is really going to speak to a lot of people and challenge some. 
So you may find that you spend most, if not all, of your group study time just sharing on these questions. For those who found the message challenging or even a bit convicting, make sure you encourage and pray with them, particularly about how they plan to apply what the Holy Spirit is prompting them to do. In the next section of the guide, Digging Deeper, there are five scripture readings followed by one or more questions. Most of the readings are short, just one, or one to three verses, with the only exceptions being the passages from the Gospels of Mark and Matthew. I would encourage you to read through the scriptures as you prepare for your group meeting and to recommend that your group members do the same. During the group time, have several members of the group read the scriptures aloud. This is a great way to get a quiet person to speak during the study time. Our first scripture reading is Genesis 4, verse 26. In the NIV, this verse reads, Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. The question for your group to think about and answer is, what does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? Calling on the name of the Lord can mean different things to different people. It can mean praying. It can mean worshiping, crying out to God for help. And it is all of these things. What's interesting in this verse is that it says, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. It marks a time in the history of mankind when people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So what were they doing before that? Look at what has happened up until this point. Sin entered the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. Cain killed his brother Abel out of jealousy. And Cain's grandson, Lamech, not only killed a man, but also boasted about it to his wives. In the garden, Adam and Eve had a close relationship with God, but now mankind was drifting away from God. Mankind was relying on its own strength. But then came Seth, the third son of Adam and Eve, a son who Eve acknowledged was given to her by God. Seth had a son named Enosh, now, the name Enosh means man, and it comes from a Hebrew word meaning frail or weak. And it was at that time that Enosh was born that people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Although scripture isn't completely clear on this, I believe that Seth and his descendants began to realize their dependence on God, and that led them to proclaim and call upon the name of the Lord. The next two scripture readings are Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11, and Acts 3, verses 4 to 8. Now, Philippians 2, 9 to 11 in the NLT says, Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Acts 3, verses 4 to 8 says, Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, 
Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. So the question here is, what do these passages tell you about the name of Jesus? I believe the answer is pretty clear. The name of Jesus is the name above all names. It is a name that carries the ultimate authority, the authority of God. Before he ascended into heaven, Jesus told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So there is authority in the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus is a powerful name, a name that has the power to heal. Peter proclaimed to the lame beggar to get up and walk in the name of Jesus. It was not through Peter that the man was healed, but through the name of Jesus, a fact that Peter pointed out in Acts chapter 4, verse 10, after being questioned by the high priest about what power or name he had healed this man by. Peter's response was, he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. There is power in the name of Jesus. These are the points that we really want people to fully grasp and, and embrace. There is authority and power in Jesus' name. And we can experience that authority and power when we call upon his name in faith. The next three readings are all from the Gospel of John. John chapter 4, verses 13 to 14, chapter 15, verse 16, and chapter 16, verses 23 to 24. In each of these verses, Jesus emphasizes that his followers are to pray in his name. After having members of your group read these verses, Ask them to share with the group why they believe that Jesus placed such emphasis on praying in his name and how this has played a role in their own prayer lives. Then have them answer the question, when you pray in Jesus' name, do you pray with the confidence of the authority and power of his name? Encourage everyone as they respond. This is an opportunity to share on a more personal level, and we need to encourage and support each other. This will create a safe environment in which your group members will feel comfortable being vulnerable and transparent. It will also help to create community among the group. Be sure to pray with any in the group who may lack the confidence of the authority and power of Jesus' name. Before answering the next set of questions, have one person in your group read Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29, and have another read Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. 
The passage in Mark's gospel is the story of the demon-possessed boy who was brought by his father to Jesus' disciples to be healed. When the disciples were unable to do so, the man went to Jesus and said, Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Jesus replied, If I can, anything is possible if a person believes. The man then responded by saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When we look at the story of the centurion in Matthew's gospel, we see a completely different mindset. The centurion comes to Jesus and asks him to heal his servant who is sick. When Jesus says that he will go to the centurion's home to heal the servant, The centurion says, just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. The centurion recognized the authority of Jesus, and he believed that Jesus could heal the servant just by speaking it. There are three questions here. The first is, what do these stories say about how we should view the authority of Jesus? In both cases, we see that Jesus has authority to heal. He has authority over sickness and over evil evil spirits. But what is most important for us to see here is the importance of having complete and unshakable faith in that authority. The centurion clearly had that, but the demon-possessed boy's father did not. He approached Jesus asking him to help his son if he could. He wasn't sure that Jesus had the authority to do it. Jesus' response to the man, anything is possible if a person believes, shows that Jesus recognized that the man's uncertainty here was due to a lack of unshakable faith, a lack of the faith that can move mountains. The man himself recognized this as well, and so he said, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. The second question here asks, what does it mean that anything is possible if a person believes? What must we believe? The point that we're trying to get to here is that when we have an unshakable faith, a faith without doubt, then anything is possible. But what's important is what we believe in what we place our faith in, our faith must be in the authority of Jesus and in the power of his name. The centurion in Matthew 8 had complete faith in Jesus' authority. When Peter called upon the name of Jesus to heal the lame beggar in Acts 3, it was because he had complete faith in the power of Jesus' name. The third question here asks, When facing mountains in your life, are you like the father of the demon-possessed boy, or are you like the centurion? Explain your answer. As this is a personal reflection question, you may get three different responses in your group. The father of the demon-possessed boy showed a lack of faith, while the centurion showed complete faith. The first response you may get is, no response. There will be some who may not feel comfortable answering, and that's okay. We should never press someone to answer this type of question. 
The second response is a positive response. Being like the centurion who had that great faith that Jesus applauded. Commend this answer. The third response is a negative response. Being like the father of the demon-possessed boy. He had faith, but it was lacking in certainty. Encourage this response by pointing out that just as this man had done, we can pray to Jesus to help us with our unbelief. In truth, we probably all experience this at times in our lives. I know I do. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 21 to 22, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. In Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 24, relating the same story, Mark quotes Jesus as saying, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. We all face mountains in our lives, problems that seem impossible to get past. But Jesus is telling us that we can move these mountains if we have an undoubting faith and we pray we call upon the authority and power of his name and believe that through his authority and by the power of his name, our mountains can be moved. Jesus said that our faith can move mountains, but our faith must be in him. It must be in his authority and in the power of his name and not in our own ability, our own authority, and our own power. The last two scripture passages to read are 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, and Psalm 116, verses 3 to 4. David had a mountain to face when facing the giant Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, 45, David said to Goliath, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you, in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. As he faced that mountain named Goliath, David relied on the name of the Lord. He knew that there was authority and power in the name of the Lord, and so his first response as he faced that mountain was to call on the name of the Lord. In Psalm 116, verses 3 to 4, the psalmist, baby David, says, Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. When faced with the mountains of death, trouble, and sorrow, the psalmist's first response was to call upon the name of the Lord. Our first response when facing mountains in our lives reveals where our confidence lies. The two questions here are both personal reflection. 
What is typically your first response when facing a mountain in your life? And what does your response reveal to you about where your confidence lies? Now, these can be tough questions and you may have silence at first. Allow time for the members of your group to reflect inwardly. A minute or two of silence can seem like an eternity, but it's not a bad thing. Wait as the Holy Spirit speaks to the group. As with the earlier personal reflection questions, there are three possible responses you may receive. No response, a positive response, or a negative response. Don't pressure anyone to respond and be sure to encourage those who do, especially if their answer reveals that this is a struggle for them. For me, I would have to say that when facing mountains, most times my confidence lies in the name of Jesus, in his power and his authority. But in truth, there are times when I struggle with this and my confidence is in my own ability to deal with those mountains. As you wrap up your group study time, be sure to spend time in prayer. My suggestion for this first week is that you as the leader begin the prayer time and make sure to spend time praying for those whose answers revealed any struggles. Don't pressure anyone to lead out in prayer. Some may feel uncomfortable praying out loud. Instead, invite anyone who feels led to lift their voices in prayer. Well, that wraps up week one. Before I close in prayer, I wanted to mention two things that may be of help as you lead this and future groups. The first is to let you know about a resource that I highly recommend. Chris Surratt, who is the small group specialist for Lifeway Christian Resources, has just published a book for small group leaders called Leading Small Groups, How to Gather, Launch, Lead, and Multiply Your Small Group. It's an excellent resource. I have met Chris personally, and he has a great amount of experience and knowledge in the area of small groups. The book can be purchased through Amazon.com, and it's well worth reading. The second thing I wanted to mention is that although I have sent out this podcast only during group studies, going forward, I'm planning to use the podcast as a way of communicating helpful insights and information, as well as tips for small group leaders. So when this four-week series ends, I'll continue to send out a podcast, maybe once or twice a month. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for all of these group leaders and hosts. I thank you for their willingness to give of their time, talents, and resources to help to build community at Evangel. I pray that as they lead and host their groups this week, your Holy Spirit will be with them to direct, encourage, and guide them. I pray that the words of this week's sermon will touch each person in these groups in a mighty way and that this study will bring them closer to each other and most especially closer to you. Most of all, I pray that you will be glorified through these groups. I ask all of this in the power and the authority of Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you lead. Have a great time and groove this week.